Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 39 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Uh, before we jump into this thing, I've got a little business to take care of, so I'm going to get right into that. Uh, first off, uh, we now have 79 reviews. We are well on our way to our goal of 100 iTunes reviews in 2017. So thank you guys for keeping those coming. I appreciate it. Uh, we also have 99 five-star ratings and one four-star rating. And uh, our four-star rating left us a review. Um, so I'd like to read that one because I think he's right, actually. Um, he says, titles it good but could be better. He goes by the name of Cracked Nugget, he or she, I guess. And uh, it says, some real gems in this thing, but it could be improved. I love the utilitarian feel, focus of the show, but Chris's rambling is sometimes insufferable and distracting. He's good at focusing on interesting directions for the interview, but could do a better job at listening to his guests. Thanks. Uh, Crack Nugget, I appreciate the feedback, and I agree. It could definitely be better. I think it could always be better. And uh, much to your chagrin, I'm sure. I'm ironically going to ramble a little more in this intro than I have been lately, just because we have lots of business coming. So um, thanks for the feedback. Again, I really, really appreciate it. You guys go leave ratings and reviews. It helps us a ton. Uh, on to the next ramble here. Um, I will be speaking at the Midwest Training for Climbing Conference that will be coming up at Adventure Rock Milwaukee on August 17th through the 19th this summer. And I'll be joining uh, Arno Ilgner, Justin Shong, and Steve Bechtel, all, all guests who've been on the podcast. And uh, we'll all be running workshops and giving presentations. Uh, so if you really want to dig into uh, training for climbing, you should definitely consider coming out to Milwaukee for this event. Uh, you can find out more details at MidwestTCC.com. And uh, I know they'll be posting more details up soon, right? The site is pretty new right now. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, also coming up this July, I will be at the International Climbers Festival here in my new hometown of Lander. And I'll be moderating, hosting a panel discussion with uh, Arno Ilgner, uh, Steve Bechtel and Charlie Manganello, Eric Hurst and Neely Quinn on Thursday, July 13th from 3 to 5 at the Lander Bake Shop. So if you guys are interested in jumping into that conversation, you should definitely come out to the International Climbers Festival. It's a ton of fun. It's a great weekend. Um, come on out and see us, and let me know if you're in town. Okay, our last bit of business here. You might have noticed that this episode is part one. Uh, that's because you'll be getting a part two very, very soon that is essentially a question and answer 
Um, I let our Facebook community know that I was going to be talking to Steve about his new book, and they had some really great questions that I posed to Steve. And that episode's going to be an example of what you'll get if you become a patron. Uh, We're going to have patron-only episodes pretty soon, and those will be short question and answers and some other uh, ideas that we have, but this is a good example of it. So if you've been considering becoming a patron, now's a good time, and you can do that at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast, or you can go to our site, click on the podcast tab, and it's pretty easy to find there. And for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get some extra episodes every month, so... Think about that. And uh, all right, uh, let's jump into this talk with Steve Bechtel. He's got a new book out called Logical Progression, Using Nonlinear Periodization for Year-Round Climbing Performance. And um, you can find the book on his site, climbstrong.com. You can also get it on Amazon. And if you go to our site and click on the post for this podcast, uh, we have links to the book, and those links do help us out a little bit. They give us a small kickback from Amazon. It does not increase your price at all, so that helps us out a little if you're going to buy the book, if you do it through there. All right. Maybe don't know. This time, this time, this time. And I don't want my athletes to have to rebuild strength every year. I want them to build on top of their previous levels of strength, and then in season they can maintain that level. This time, this time, power, power. This time to build power. This time, time, time to build for things that aren't wet <laughs> that's a good thing to be yeah, looking for right I, now I, yeah i just kind of get like forced into closer and closer to the center of the cave it seems and then yesterday like the last possible thing was also wet <laughs> so i think i'm gonna start golfing <laughs> that's a good plan except for golf courses are really wet too right now i think oh, man, that's true. that sucks pool maybe i'll start bowling swimming yeah. Swimming's good when it's wet. <laughs> okay. Um, first off, I had a I had a chance to read the book, and it's a super, super easy read, which I think is um, somewhat lacking generally in training books. And, and that means a lot to me, being able to sit down and read it and digest it without, you know, face palming and having to get up and walk away and readjust right so i think that's a good thing about it for sure yeah so good job there um and the layout is great um kian did the layout is that right yeah key and stewart okay yeah it looks great so you guys did a good job on this thing and i'm i'm stoked that it's out there um let's just jump into what exactly is nonlinear periodization well, you know, it's, it's, sim- it's simply a way of organizing training. And what's, what is, what's fascinating to me is, is our inclination to try to make a thing more complicated than it is. Yeah. And the way that, that we n- normally start, say you start running or weight training or whatever, it, or just rock climbing, you just go do the thing. And you get a little better and you get a little better and you get a little better. And then when you stop improving, you start to 
question methods and things like that. And, yep. and then the normal thing is to try to lift heavier, run further, um, or, or just add more days of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that might work for a little while, but then most people get to, um, like this intermediate level of training where, where they, um, they need to cycle, uh, a recovery weekend there or, or, um, you know, focus a little more on bouldering for a few weeks or um, endurance for a few weeks, and then they can still move forward. But when you when you get to like full blown um, classical periodization, that's a that's a very that's a very advanced way of programming. Um, it's very restrictive, and um, and my contention is that it doesn't really work all that well for a sport like climbing, and. So when we look at periodization, um, it's, it's a way of organizing your training um, to stimulate specific adaptations over time. So the classical way of, of organizing stuff is um, to have these, these uh, macro cycles of strength or power or endurance. Um, and that was all built around... Um, preparing weightlifters for, for competition. Right. And so it's an easy to understand model. It makes logical sense, but it doesn't really apply to a sport like climbing. Because it's a skill sport. That's your. Exactly. And so, um, if you have a sport that only requires, um, one skill or, or one, one set of skills, um, or if you have a sport that only requires one energy system, classical periodization works very, very well. And so let, let's talk about energy systems just for a second. Um, we, have, we have three energy systems that we depend on for, for sporting activity. Um, and, you know, there's this um, anaerobic, alactic, up to 10 seconds, power and strength. Um, we have anaerobic lactic, which is uh, the, the um, ten, you know, roughly 10 seconds to 90 seconds. And then we have uh, the oxidative or, or aerobic system, which is beyond 90 seconds. And although each of those energy systems is, is being used at all times, most sports will be very dependent on one, like right. weightlifting, all, all alactic. Um, you know, when you're in a weightlifting competition, your competition uh, performance is, you know, three seconds. Right. Um, if you're in a marathon, you're almost completely aerobic. Right. And so you, whether I'm setting up a, to move toward endurance or move toward strength, um, I only have to worry about performing in one of those. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I always say that climbing is the coolest sport in the world. And, and one of the things that's really cool about it is that we have to use all three of those energy systems at all times. Right. Even, even you know, if we're a boulderer, that th- those things all come into play. And so training in a way to maximize just one energy system um, takes away from your development of the other two. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few ways of solving that problem, but regular classical periodization where you train, um, you know, a bunch of endurance and then a bunch of power and then a bunch of strength over a three month period, you know, in a linear or progressed way, leaves you lacking in those other, in those other facets by the time we get to performance time. Right. 
the other thing is I like to climb well more than three times a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, that was the thing I think that drove me to research this stuff was the fact that, you know, I was very successful in peaking with, with a regular periodization plan for several years. Um, but it would be like two weeks of, of pretty good performance and then I'd go flat again. Right. And with climbing, you can't necessarily plan on that with the weather and, you know, who knows your, your, you know, what you're determining is where your peak is going to be might end up being bad weather and then you're screwed. Yep. And especially mentally you're screwed. I think a lot of people believe they're peaking for a specific week and then they're the weather's bad and they're like up, oh, you know, back to training. I might as well just forget it. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the, you know, we still, there, you know, you're clearly going to peak, but what we want and, and you know, what we, you and I've talked about before is we want their peak to be driven by the sport and by peaking right. their skills, their arousal levels, everything else. And the training should happen in the background to prepare them for this. Um, and, and I think one of the things, one of the mistakes that we make is going, is thinking of climbing as a purely strength or a purely power or a purely physical sport when really you've got to marry together all of this crazy stuff to, right. to have an optimal performance. Right. Right. And so much skill. Yes. Like you were saying. Yeah. And so if we can go back and think, you know, I'm going to work skill, I'm going to work practice. It's crazy. You get somebody that climbs really well, say somebody that's climbing 513, 514, and you say, you know what you need to do is really, really dial in your your technique. They're going to, you know, nine out of 10 of them are going to be offended. And oh, say, yeah, like, definitely. I'm mm-hmm. an expert. You know, I've, I'm, I've got this really figured out. Right. But, um, but I think that if we can come up with a, a mental picture for these athletes that their physical preparation, preparation has to happen at all times, um, mm-hmm. and then they can go out to the crag and ramp up for specific projects or build up to their on-sites um, where, we, where they can, can uh, depend on their skills more than like on a hangboard where they're like, right. you know, I'm peaking on the hangboard. You know, it's like, so what? Maybe, you're, <laughs> right. maybe you have no, you know, you're, you're, you, you can be super strong on the hangboard and climb really bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And vice versa. Yep. You know, I've definitely had clients and training partners who – I perform better on the hangboard than they do, but then we go outside and they can hold holds that I can't even fathom. Right. You know, so it doesn't always translate over. But so linear periodization is essentially working one energy system at a time and then expecting them, you know, all to come together. Well, or not even needing them to come together. Like if we're a marathoner, you, they, you know, you train weights early Just in the season build up to, to the, get some strength. Right. But then you can let strength fade. Right. And so when we look at the um, adaptation persistence of, of any facet of your, of your physical, physicality, like strength, if you build strength and then you stop doing it, within about 10 days, your, your max numbers start to drop. Right. And so if I hangboard for four weeks... Um, and then you know, be, and then because it's the end of January, I switch to um, bouldering. And then because it's the end of February, I switch switch to four by fours. Um, 
there's a few things that I'm, I'm messing up, but one of the primary ones is that we're losing that adaptation. The strength starts to drop off. And I don't want my athletes to have to rebuild strength every year. I want them to build on top of their previous levels of strength. And then in season, they can maintain that level. But um, going back to the seasonal stuff, if we take and, you know, hold to a hard calendar Mm -hmm. um, that says it's only four weeks and then we're moving on. Well, you know, a really good athlete has 60 to 70% adherence to their training plan. Right. And I think if, if we could get our athletes and the people that listen to this podcast to think in terms of the adaptation to a stimulus requiring, you know, X number of, of sessions rather than fitting into the January calendar, I think it's really a good thing. And what I mean there is like to see a full power adaptation might take 14 to 16 training sessions. And a young person might be able to do three sessions a week. And so that athlete might see in five weeks full adaptation to that cycle. Right. Um, an older guy um, might only be able to train super hard power once every five days. And so if he's going to have to do 14 sessions, his power adaptation might be three months long before he completely taps that out. Right. And so if we get stuck in the calendar... Um, instead of thinking of how the body adapts, um, we kind of get screwed up. And so this is kind of where the nonlinear stuff, um, and particularly the, the, the style that I'm promoting here, um, can solve one of these problems. And so when we go and define nonlinear training, instead of saying we're going to train strength in January, power in February, endurance in March, we're going to break that down to smaller cycles where um, we're going to train strength for one session, then rest a couple of days, train power for one session, rest a couple of days, then train your energy system. Um, and then we just cycle through that regardless of what the calendar says. So if you get two days of training a week, um, you would do strength and then power. And then the next week you'd start with energy system development. Um, somebody like the young guy we just talked about, he might be training five sessions a week. So he'd be getting a couple of, right. couple of each session in. Yep. The, um, the main thing there is figuring out how frequently you need to, uh, stimulate the, the organism to, to see those improvements mm -hmm. and then setting up your training accordingly. Unfortunately, most people have, all this other life stuff that goes on that sure. that, that uh, limits their training time. Yep, and um, and that's where um, that's where we try to make this adaptable. Because if you are a pro athlete, you can you can run everything based on on what you're doing to uh, to improve your sport. But if you're a parent and a, and you have a job and you right, you which ninety nine percent of yeah. us are. So. And, and yeah, so then what we want to do is come up with a program that that they can actually stick to. Mm -hmm. Because boy, the feedback is you start it, you start a restrictive program, you don't follow the restrictive program. And so your automatic feedback is you suck. Right. And, and that's not really the case. It's just that your program wasn't well thought out in advance to, to fit with the realities of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in this plan, are you ever working to energy systems or uh, two facets of your 
training in one session? Uh, are there strength components mixed in with the power endurance sessions or? Um, not really. And, and the difficulty there, not that, not that you shouldn't do that ever, but mm -hmm. the difficulty with this is if we're trying to, to keep on a, a cycle of this nonlinear stuff, switching between these energy systems, if we put, um, say energy system work at the end of a strength session, like, like people like to do occasionally, mm -hmm. um, and we do the strength session on Monday, then we do power on Wednesday, then we do regular energy system work on Friday, we may be overtraining that system um, gotcha. and then not, not quite training the strength enough. And gotcha. so I, I, I line out a couple of different strategies for this, but, but one of the things uh, that, that's a great starting place for the athlete is just to say, this is purely a strength workout. Um, this is purely an energy system workout. And although we just through the habit of climbing, for example, in the energy system stuff, um, we're doing, uh, you know, several boulder problems in a row, in which case we are having a little bit of power stimulus, a little bit of strength stimulus. And so all the climbing we do, um, does require all of those things to some degree, but we really mm -hmm. do want to focus, focus just on one per session. Right. Right. And what about the people who have, you know, for instance, one maybe two days every week should they also rotate through these different energy systems or would it be better to combine them it might be better to combine them uh if you're that limited if you're that limited and but but the thing that we always want to default to is to go back to what is our adaptation uh potential uh and you would say i need to keep training strength and power all the time Mm -hmm. And then um, when I get an occasional extra day of the week, then I could do some endurance work. Um, you know, if you've only got two days a week to train, uh, your your performance potential is also diminished. Sure, and sure. So, so then you go, okay, well, really, I would take that athlete back and say, okay, what do you really want to get done this season? Because then we're going to super focus on that one yep. thing. Yep, totally. But yeah, it becomes, it becomes problematic and you've seen it through, I'm sure through your coaching where, you know, people give you these like seemingly impossible problems. They're like, Oh yeah. yeah all the time. I want to do the nose in a day, but I only have one hour a month to train. Right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I hear that pretty often. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think it's great to dream big. Um, and I think you need these intermediate markers along the way. And I think your system sets up to have those intermediate markers really well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How? Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. That's uh, With working in your outdoor climbing into your training, since in this system you're sort of expecting to perform at a relatively high level year-round, how do you go about adding that in? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways. You can um, you can run your outdoor climbing separately. Um, mm -hmm. or Just you think can, of it as a total separate entity. Yep, and think about your training as simply preparation to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to be physically ready for climbing, and I want to be ready to do whatever I've got going out there. Right. Um, and I think that's a really good way to do it. You can also, though, integrate it and say, okay, I'm going outside and today is a strength day, so I'm going to work on projects that um, 
are you know limit level so i'm going to be right. you know trying really to hold hard little moves holds. Yep. yeah and then the power day we would go bouldering and then the energy system day we would do like uh, volume uh, yeah whatever power endurance routes whatever it yep. is um and so you can do it that way i prefer to to separate them and say okay we're going to do this training in the background you you always go to the gym tuesdays and thursdays after work and then on the weekends you get to climb and like the worst thing is like you get to the crag and you're, you know, you're there with your, you know, your significant other. And she's like, oh yeah, it's a volume day. So I just want to do tons of pitches. And you're right. like, oh, I was going to send my project today, mm-hmm. you know, but instead you're out doing like dozens of pitches. And, and so unless you can coordinate it really well with partners, I find it's, it's much better to say, okay, I'm going to be following, um, my red point pyramid or I'm going to be working my project or whatever. And then let the, let the training kind of work separately than that. Yep. What if there are people who are outside all the time, you know, if they live in an area where they don't necessarily have access to training. Um, for instance, I have a couple who travels all the time and right now they're living in the red river gorge. Um, so they don't get to the gym very often, um, once a week at most. Um, and they have TRX where they're living and a hangboard, and that's really it. Um, so we do schedule their outdoor days as training days pretty mm-hmm. often. Um, how would you go about that? Would you? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, and, and I've, I've run into that with a lot of athletes, um, they and more and more are traveling all the time. Yeah, you know, sprinter life. And I would just say, number one, that you, they're they're a burden on our society, and they should <laughs> they should stop stop this. And um, uh, no, I, I think it's I think it's it's a challenge for them. And, but you know, we we say, oh yeah, well, you know, the classic is if you if you've ever followed like a a training thread on mountain project or something. Mm-hmm. There's, there's always this douchebag. It's probably the same guy every time, but there's always somebody that says With different names. Yeah. They'll say, Oh yeah. All you need to do is just climb. Right. Or the, you know, it, it, you know, degrades to, Oh, well you should just do 12 ounce curls and you know, whatever right. else. But, yeah. but the just climbing is great. You know, I would love to just climb, but training is about systemizing adaptation so right. that, and it actually happens faster. You will adapt faster by training. And yes, just climbing is really great. But um, if you can take your Red River Gorge couple and you say, all right, this month, yeah, you're just climbing, but I want to want you to work on specific facets of your training. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if you were going to set it up in a nonlinear way, you would say, okay, we're going to spend one day working just you know, pure endurance stuff. You're going to back off, you know, full letter grade from your max. And I want you to try to get 10 pitches in. Um, then we'll have one day where you go and you're working the cruxes of a 514, trying to right. you know, get, get that power and the strength up. Um, and then another day they may be just red pointing, like red pointing close to their limit on mm-hmm. something that they might actually send. And so then we are getting three different stimuli there and we're keeping that athlete from going stale. Yep. Because one of the biggest things we see with red point only mentality is that they, they lose the work capacity. Pretty right. soon you do two warm ups and then you do burns on your project. And then you're done. Yeah. That's and, all you've got. And and when you're on a project, the reason that most of us send 
isn't that we're getting fitter and fitter and fitter. Right. It's that, we're just that learning we're, the route better. Yeah, we're learning and learning and learning. Our skills are getting better. We're yep. getting more efficient. And therefore, your physical capacity is diminishing. And so when you when you go to that, you know, these second tier routes, you know, uh, that are a little bit easier and, mm-hmm. and actually get some mileage in, um, it's going to improve. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure they're probably already on that sort of program. But um, yeah, then when it's like, Oh yeah, I could do better training. Like if I had a gym, I could I could see better improvements. Right. It's it's a trade off. You you can um, you can spend part of the season on the roads, part of the season um, in the gym. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think something we do that I think is pretty important um, with that couple specifically, and with some other folks that I work with, I look at their outdoor days more as practice than as training. And I try to focus their practice on specific things. You know, this couple, uh, we're just starting to really dig into the red point process. So it's not so much about red pointing the route as it is learning the process that you go through and what steps you take next, you know, to have an efficient red point process on a, on a specific route. Um, so, I think by separating those two things, practice versus training, then I can put them onto their red point days with the idea of practice and then volume days with the idea of training. Yeah. So, so they tend to approach it a little different, I think, yeah. which I think, I think that's important for them to do. For sure. Um, I think that that success, like, like try- sending is, is, is trying to succeed and trying to succeed. Right. And if we're always doing it, um, we get worse at the at the pieces. Mm-hmm. A, a really good example of like just red pointing all the time is the NFL. I mean, imagine if all they did was play NFL games. Right. Like it would, you know, they would first suck at at most of the parts of the game, and they'd also be destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, I think that having a mind toward that is is really important when when you're looking at it and having somebody to talk to you know a coach um becomes an essential part of improvement and and that's an interesting it's an interesting segue into um like what coaching is like there's all this you know we're almost all self-coached and you you do the activity and you think about the performance and then you you know then you go back and do the activity and think about the performance, but having, um, better feedback, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, an honest assessment of the performance is sort of this next step because when we're just thinking about it, we're, we, we're only feeling, um, right. but then if you like, it seems vain to shoot video, but if you video yourself climbing or have a friend shoot it and you watch that video, not only do we learn better, um, by, by rewatching that, but we get a sense of sight of, of what it looks like right. when you're climbing. You're like, and it always looks different than we yeah, think I, it does. I had no idea my feet were flopping all over the place like that. Right. Um, and you can also listen to it. And it's really interesting to hear, um, when people start to get stressed, mm-hmm. um, you know, they start breathing How hard, the breathing changes and, and, you know, they might start doing the karate chop sounds and stuff. And although there is a, there's a time for that, um, they might be doing it emotionally rather than because of the physical reasons. Right, right. Um, and so then the third layer, you know, beyond like feeling it at, at the top, you know, and then looking and, and hearing what you're doing, like by, by self-assessment on video, mm-hmm. is to have another person look at it and be like, boy, you, you know, you rested too long at that place or 
you know, the second you get to the crux, you know, all of a sudden everything goes tight and you, you, you look like you're panicking yeah. and that's, that's that real value. You know, the feet, the coach's job is to watch, you know, and right. to, and to see what their, what patterns are and to try to break those patterns. And, mm-hmm. and so like teaching them about red pointing and, you know, when to have easy days and making sure that you, you know, don't do the same stupid stuff over and over. I mean, that's the, that's the whole game. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think that, you know, the feedback from a coach is super important and there are a lot of different forms that can come in. Um, and one of the things we've been working on a lot is cultivating this self-awareness and how to improve your self-awareness, um, through drills and different exercises. And, and I think that's been pretty big, but you're right. Video is still a huge thing. And I I have our clients send us video all the time, um, and hopefully take videos of themselves and, and be okay with that. Um, a lot of them don't like to, like you said, it seems a little vain. Um, but, but I do think that's the, the definite way to go is to look at video. And if you have something like coach's eye where you can slow it down and scroll back and forth on the video, that makes it even nicer or compare, yeah. you know, with someone else doing a problem or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. Cause, um, I think that there's, there's like this unwillingness to, to really truly look at, at yourself. And that's where a lot of people get stuck they, you know, they, they get to, well, I mean, one of the main things I try to break through with athletes is, is deciding how, you know, how well you can climb. Like mm-hmm. people will just go like, oh yeah, they'll, they'll refer to things as hard or easy. Um, right. They'll be like, oh, that route is hard. That route is easy. And right there, you're, you're giving yourself this, this fixed set of, of rules to fight against. Or you decide that you're a 13A climber and you're not a 14A climber. It's like, well, why? Like, who who made that decision and how yep. do you know that? And are you only climbing 13A because you decided to only climb 13A? Right, right. You know? And those grades are subjective to begin with. Right. So, well, and and one of the things I'll, I'll tell my athletes is like the difference between a, a like a 12C and a 13A can be one hold. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have a ton of like 12C climbers that can do V5. And then we've got a ton of 513s that the hardest move on them is V3. Yep. And so as, as soon as they can get past their head, um, they, you know, they blow the doors off the thing. But but it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a, I can't remember who it was. It might have been... Um, Ben Bruno or somebody that said, uh, if you, uh, if you think an exercise is going to hurt you, it probably will. Right. And, and it's really, it's really true with, uh, with, um, this climbing too. Like if you think you can't do a climb, like pick something else until you think you can do that route. Yeah. I think having the belief is the biggest first crux that most people have to go through. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, and, and what's, what's interesting too, is you've probably seen these people that are always preparing. Um, and we will see these athletes that are always, you know, like, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. And months and months and months go by of like getting ready and fixing to try it. And I'm thinking about getting out there and maybe I'll look at that route, you know, and then you have these people that just like put their boots down and start trying something. Yeah. And, um, I think it's a lot like being a parent. You know, I hear so many people, 
oh, we're, we're waiting until the right time, you know, I'm not ready to be a parent yet. And I don't know if you ever yeah. are actually ready. Yeah. You just, you just rise to the occasion when it presents itself because you have to. Right. You know? Yeah, that's the ultimate ultimate change is like you know the the baby arrives and all of a sudden you've got to got to do something about it right that's and that's one of the main things that we we deal with anymore is the change psychology and and how we how you can help people um to make changes because everybody knows all, how to eat well and what they need to do to train i mean but they're not going to do it and that's and that's the thing is like we've got to change their their sense of priorities you know mm. from from like my priority is drinking a glass of wine at night and then watching three episodes of, you know, whatever TV Yeah. to my priority is sending hard routes. And, um, and it's my priorities, both. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, that's a fascinating thing, right? Priority. I love the word. Right. Because singular. Yeah, it is singular. It wasn't until like the 1970s that they started pluralizing it. Priority, the root of priority is the one thing. Right. Which is such a powerful thing. But when people start talking about having priorities, it's like, you know, it's like having multiple wives or something. Mm -hmm. It's like that shit just isn't natural. Right. <laughs> so how do you think this nonlinear periodization plays into the psychology of the people that you're working with? Well, the f the first thing is um, breaking down the barrier of what a successful training program looks like. Okay. Because, you know, again, if I give them a really structured program that says you need to do this on Monday, this on Wednesday, this on Friday, and, you know, you, you need to progress these things. And they, they're, you know, they get busy. They have a soccer game, whatever else. Um, they start to feel like they're not succeeding. And right. they're having to make too many compromises in the training program, which is actually really true. Um, you probably get as many questions from athletes like, hey, if I do this and this and this and I change and change and change this program, right? Um, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you've got a thing that doesn't look like the original at all. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, like one, you can't tell them it's going to work. And two, that athlete isn't going to get the results that they're expecting that, you know, that they, that they feel like they want. Um, and so with our program, we can say, look, it, by cycling between these things, the strength and the power, the endurance aren't going to come as quickly as, as they would. If you just, you know, if you only hangboard, your fingers are going to get ungodly strong, but right. all these other things will suffer. And so if we, if we work on all of these things at once over, over a longer cycle, you know, we're talking three to four months of buildup on some of these things. Um, We'll, we'll see a more successful program. And the athlete, even though they only got to train two days this week or they got a really great weekend, they trained five days, um, they're going to still be able to see progress. Mm -hmm. And so one of, the, one of the big warnings we'll give them or one of these uh, things we'll urge them to do is to make sure that they're, they're tracking their progress, they're p paying attention to what's happening. Because if you do like the um, integrated strength uh, day, uh -huh. um, and then you do a power one and an endurance one, it may be 12, 14 days before you get back to that session. Right. Um, what did you do last time? You know, mm -hmm. how, how was it? And then let's, how can we progress? We've got to make sure that we're seeing improvements there. Um, and, and that's, um, that's one of these things. If they can progress over 
the course of eight sessions, you know, you know, strength session once a week, um, you know, eight, 10 weeks long, then we, we have these, these numbers that show us that that athlete is actually stronger and they're probably going to perform better outside. If you think you're stronger, you're stronger. And that's a, that's a really important. Yep. I do. I think that is really important that as long as they believe it and they believe that it's working, then compliance goes up. Yeah. And if it's easy for them to fit into their lives, um, which I think this sort of program really is. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what we do isn't exactly um, what you would call nonlinear, but it's similar in a lot of ways. And, and I think it's something we've come across just through throwing out things that don't work and and trying to get more compliance because yeah. in my mind that's one of the most important things is it needs to be a plan that the climber's going to do. Yeah. You know, and when people start to miss workouts, they f if it's a if it's a plan that looks like a funnel like you, you know, you're going to this one very specific point and they miss a day, then they start thinking, you know, okay, well I'm already off. So yeah. it's not going to matter if I just skip this day too, right? You know, and they start to let little excuses get in the way. Yeah. So, so I do think in in that respect, having this plan that doesn't look so much like a funnel, yeah, that that it makes a lot more sense for people who have real lives. Yeah, and it lets them keep their performance focused on on the crag. Like one of mm -hmm. the things I just hate is is this uh, idea of like either like the performance happens in the gym or that I just have to get tired and that's going to indicate a really great training session. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. and so, and that happens if people miss a workout, you'll have the people that harder. are just like, yeah, they'll be like, well, I'll just do both of them on Friday. Right. You know? Yep. And which is, which is really crazy. Like if you, if you like missed a meal and you're like, oh, that's okay. I'm just going to eat two <laughs> right, meals at dinner. Right. 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 Uh, but, but that's what, that's <clears throat> what the mentality is. The other mentality of just like, I'm, I missed a workout, so I'm off my plan. Therefore I suck. Mm -hmm. um, I, I heard a great analogy there which was like you know you drop your iphone and you're like darn i dropped that phone it's like oh shit i guess i'll just keep dropping it yeah or i'll like, just i'll leave it there yeah i know you go you're <laughs> like okay it. whoops I, I blew it i better be more careful with it next time you yeah. know maybe you buy a case for it maybe you you know you know put a lanyard on your neck or yeah. something yeah but but that's um but that's one of the things is like errors happen in training and and people get sick and um you know they have vacations and whatever else and so when, when we program uh, on four-week cycles, you get 13 four-week cycles a year. Okay. And so I will just say one of those entire four-week cycles is out the window because of illness sure. or travel or demotivation or whatever. And so then when you're planning out a whole year for an athlete, if you start with 12 four-week cycles and you say, look, you, look we've got a, we have a whole month to play with here because you're not going to make it you know, through with the hundred percent compliance, um, that it, it, it's a little load off their shoulders if they do have a, a sick kid or a, a work trip or something like that. Right. Right. So what do, you know, if you're doing these four week cycles, how does one four week cycle differ from the next? Well, it depends on the, on the type of program that we're on and, and, you know, although I'm in, in your program, yeah. So I'm at, on, in the logical, logical progression, the way we're advocating, that athletes handle that is to spend three weeks of really pushing it on the, on the, mm -hmm. um, you know, going forward on every single workout, trying to go really hard and then to back off for a week 
and mm-hmm. take, you know, take a nice easy week. Um, the easiest thing in the world is to look at your total training volume and cut it in half. And everybody just freaks out about that. It's like, they're yeah. like I, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose yep. it. Yep. Um, but, but the analogy that we use and the example that we use is sleeping. Like, you, you, can you imagine how efficient you could be if, like, you could just stay awake 24 hours a day? Right. Like, I try. Yeah, sometimes. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you, well, it's like Schwarzenegger says, like, you need eight hours a day. Well, you need to learn to sleep faster, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, yeah, if you, if you didn't have to take that recovery... You would you would think oh man I could get so much more done I could just work I could work from you know at at the um, convenience store from midnight to eight a.m. and then I'd have all day long to climb and right but you're gonna kill yourself and this yeah. is the same thing that it's happens it's all going in to suffer it's like if you don't give your body time to recover it will take it yep um, and three things happen if we if we don't back off it's like injury illness or staleness mm-hmm. so you're gonna you're gonna hurt a finger. Because you overtrained, you are going to get sick because your your um, immune system really uses the same recovery uh, modes that your uh, athletics do, um, um, or you're going to get burned out. You're just going to get tired of it, and right. and it, and it's not you so much as your body like tricking you into being burned out. You know, it's not that you hate climbing; it's just that your body is. <laughs> Sure, going to teach you to hate climbing because because you've been pushing too hard. Yeah, it, so, it views it as a threat at that point. Yeah, yeah. And you know this, it's it goes back to these the, like they've known it for years. These classical distributions of of recovery, and um, even the Greeks, like years ago, they talked about the the gladiators hardening. They they hardened for two weeks, and then they have two weeks of rest, and then they would harden for two weeks, and so that's like two on, two off. Yep. But um, it. it you know that taking some kind of recovery uh, cycle is is really critical. And if you if you're a person that doesn't think you need those cycles, you're not performing at any kind of level. And so if right. you've if you've been at the same level and you're performing like I've always been able to climb twelve A, I can climb twelve A every week. Well, congratulations! Yeah. But you could probably <laughs> be climbing thirteen C. Yeah, yeah. Good no. job staying where you're at. Yeah, right. So, so when you take your four, your three weeks, and then your your deload or your easy week, when you start up the next three weeks, does it look the same as the previous three weeks? Do you change things around? Um, you can. Uh, it depends on how involved the athlete wants to be and how much entertainment they need. Right. Um, it, I think that you know, because like, we, you know, we all know there's about. 10 really good ways to improve your strength endurance, you know, different, uh, you know, work rest cycles, different intervals, things like that. And if you, if you're psyched on one in particular, do it again for that next four weeks. But if you're like, Oh man, those four by fours were just mind numbing. I hated it. Mm -hmm. Well, go to a different style. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, with, with changing modes. I'm a big fan of, of changing like hangboard protocols. Yep. Same um, here. Because like you, you hear, like I get this, like, which is better, you know, what's the better. Right. Um, it's like, and, and I always say like, well, what's better? Is it like Indian food or Mexican food? <sighs> right. It's like, it's all food. The, the critical thing is you keep eating mm-hmm. and, and with the hangboard stuff, I think, um, different, different loading, um, ratios are, are critical um going going heavy for certain parts of the year yep. um doing yeah we like to change every four to six weeks yep. you know, yeah. with some time off between usually yeah 
And uh, and some parts of the year, maybe you'll have like like this time of year, all all the climbers here locally are trying to get their fingers strong um, because of the the tweaky nature of the wild iris, um, and so you will spend you know four to six to eight weeks of of really specific finger strength, mm-hmm. um, and and with a nonlinear program, you would say okay, my my strength day was going to be super intense this phase and then maybe my energy system phase uh or workout is is more of a recovery style workout but right. it becomes it's a very plastic system you know you can you can change a lot there mm-hmm. if if there was one overarching or a few overarching general philosophies behind um logical progression what do you think those would be and we may have already talked about or touched on these things but um well, the, the first thing is, is that training should be done to assure that you can practice effectively. Like you need to be strong enough to do the skills of the sport. Like, you know, we, we go out and we say we're practice, practice, practice. But if I have somebody do 10 laps out the boulder cave, just working on heel hooking, they've still got to be able to climb out the boulder cave 10 times. Right. And, and so we really want it to make sure that they have those basic um, strength skills, that basic amount of power um, that's going to allow them to practice effectively. Most climbers, most climbers I've ever dealt with have one glaring facet of their training that they, that they've defocused. Um, and it's a personal preference or whatever, like they're just not good at vertical climbing or they've, you know, they don't like stretching or, Right. Um, you know, I don't, I just, slopers are no good for me, whatever. Um, and, and so we wanted them to have the skills or excuse me, the strength to work that skill like crazy. Um, yep. and so we do all the training in the background and then like when it comes practice time, it's like, okay, it's sloper day and we're going to have sloper day until you are good at it. Until you like sloper day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as soon as you like it, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> then you move on to whatever you hate again. Yep. That's right. So. Um, yeah. Well, like we have an athlete that's out um, trying to free around on El Cap right now. And, you know, he loves bouldering. He loves power. But his entire training program has been work capacity. Um, you know, yep. yeah, he had to get his boulder bouldering up to climb on El Cap. And that's a, that's a, um, an interesting thing, but, but there's so much work that goes into it, you know? And so he had to do all this capacity, weight training, laps on easier routes, um, you know, you know, getting used to doing high, huge amounts of work. And, um, and, you know, you take that bitter pill because you want that reward at the end. And so that's, that's what we're, um, it was what we're always trying to do with that athletes, find what they're, find what they're bad at. And that's their practice. Mm Mm-hmm. You say something interesting in the book that I that I really appreciate, and that's that you're basically pushing the idea that your training plan should be relatively simple and not terribly complicated. Um, and I think it's a you know logical progression is just another way of saying here's how common sense works when you put things in a good order. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's what you do with these plans. And, and you've taken a little bit of, here, let's, let's put it into a framework for you in case you want it to look a little more 
complicated than it actually is. Yep. I think that's a smart way to approach it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I put those as examples. I think I, I, I think I lined out like the, the training yep. programs are examples rather yep. than here's what you have to do. Exactly. Um, and, um, there are all different levels of, of complexity. I think that the, the thing I'm really trying to get at is that you don't want to go to the most complicated plan um, right away. You don't want to have to um, get super organized and super strict with yourself until you've, you've played out all of the easy interventions. Right. Um, you know, like, the the easy intervention when you're doing your money is like put your money in an IRA, mm-hmm. you know, and once you're maxing out your IRA, then you can put it in a money market and whatever else. But and at some point when you're like Warren Buffett, there's a whole bunch of complicated crap going on. Right. But if he was only putting away a hundred dollars a month, where would he be? And that's that's where most climbers are. Like I want them to be able to put all of their effort into how do I get better at the crag. And then be be back off a little bit on how um, conditioned they're they're trying to become. You've you've worked with a lot of people long distance, and I've done the same. And one of the biggest issues I've ever had is that you you like you're giving them all these really great workouts and whatever else, and then when you finally get to see them face to face, you're like, oh oh, <laughs> now I see your yeah. your movement really <clears throat> needs to be worked on, right? We, you know, right? Or or you're you're terrified. Um, and you could have like the strongest person in the world. Right. And if they can't put it together out there, then we, you know, it doesn't matter which hangboard protocol they're doing. Yep. It's absolutely, it's it's that we need to, we need to go back into just some really basic stuff. Um, we've seen people that have super strong fingers, but they can't keep their hips in. Um, you know, uh, or they, they just start to get that like general torso fatigue Mm -hmm. and, um, and so then you're like, oh, God, this is su- super easy. Like we were coming up with these really complicated bouldering programs for you. We're working so hard on your power endurance when really all we got to do is get your your basic trunk strength up. Right. And, and your training just got super simple. Yep. And, um, and you know, and it's like uh, improving their, their climbing shoes or, you know, going, you know, dropping away from a 10.5 rope or whatever it is. Right, can, right. Those are, those are the simple interventions. Yeah, I think that's... I mean, that's such a huge part of what we do is try to figure out, try to read between the lines and yeah. see what it is that the client isn't seeing on their own. Yeah. You know, we can do only so much with intake questionnaires and conversations and, you know, you really have to dig into some what someone's doing yeah. um, to be super effective. But I do think there is a, a level of, guiding people in the right direction that yeah. needs to be there regardless. Yeah. You know. And and the other thing is is I think innately we all know how to climb. Like we you see kids go onto the playground and they yep. they just start doing it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know there's there's a little bit of this like let's let them just keep playing, you know, and keep it fun. And um gosh, it's it's really easy to turn um turn fun into work by, by, by training. Yeah. And so I, I think you do kind of walk that razor's edge there. Yeah. And it depends on the person, yep. you know, some people love the routine. They love to check the boxes. They, yeah. you know, that's more fun to them than just going in and experimenting and playing around. So yeah, 
So you have to know the personality of the person too yeah. to know what to give them. So. Yeah. I remember there's a couple of guys that we've we've lost to training. Oh yeah, like, there yeah, was for sure. There was one guy that like was a really great climber, and then all of a sudden, all he wanted to do was campus. Yeah, you know, and there, you know, like he's just became, you know, became like obsessed with going like you know one five eight or whatever his his goal was. Yeah. But he was no, yeah, didn't can't can't go climbing today. I got a campus. Right. You know? And and yeah, you know, I see that happen. Yeah. Pretty often. Yeah. And whether it's. Yeah. you know, climbing specific training or weightlifting or whatever, yeah. it's really easy to go down that path. Yeah. And and honestly, if, you know, if that's what motivates you and you're, you find that you're more excited about that than you are about going to the crag, then yeah. great. But, but be honest with yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's that interesting thing. Like I, I've, got this reputation as being like the anti-running person. Right. Like right. Steve hates running. Yeah. But I, I, and I do, I do hate running, but, um, but it's it's interesting because people are like, well, but I really want to run, and you said I can't, and I'm like, well, you can, yeah. but don't fool yourself into thinking that, that it's, it's training. helping your climbing. And it's the same with weight training or CrossFit. You know, like there's been some really great climbers that have gone into CrossFit and been right. very successful, um, but not with the mind of I'm going to use this to be a better climber. You know, it's just right. like it's it's what you're doing now instead of climbing. Mm-hmm. So, yep, I agree. Um, anything you want to say to people about the book? Um, any reason why people should go pick it up? I think I think the book mostly is a tool for people that can't seem to make a training program work. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you've you've built your own, you've read a different book, you've tried something. This is this is a different take, and it's you know we've got really good science behind nonlinear stuff it's not just like an idea that i had they there there's they have great data on on the effectiveness of it versus like a regular uh periodized program um and i think that it's one of these things it's an individual thing this is going to be a home run for some people and we ran it we wrote um let's see i wrote the book in 2015 probably um, and then early 2016, we edited, and then I sent it out to a whole bunch of people. I, I just went to our email list and I said, I'm working on this new book. If you guys want to read it and try it, I'll send it to you. I send it out to a whole bunch of climbers. And I, you know, there's, a, there's one guy in particular that I, you know, that really is dialed on his training. And he's like, you know, I, I te- tested this to, you know, to be nice to you, but I, I like my training program. And I have to admit, I had huge misgivings, but it really worked for me. And, oh, that's and, good. And he's a, you know, he's a really seasoned athlete. And he's, you know, and he'll probably use a hybrid of this and his normal programming. Right, right. Um, which is actually kind of how I use it. Um, but, but it's for people that can't quite make a rigid program fit for themselves, but still want something that they're going to see progress on, mm-hmm. you know, short of just bouldering Tuesday nights and doing routes on Thursday nights. Right. And we've got a guy who's really active in our community, Brendan, and he's, he works on like a nine day schedule or something rather because of his job rather than a seven day schedule. And he's had a lot of trouble making other training plans fit mm-hmm. into his real life schedule, yeah. you know, and I think he really likes this one for that fact that it's yep. so easy to plug into his calendar. Yeah. 
um, it just makes total sense for him. Yeah, so. and and I think that's the person it's gonna it's gonna do really well for. And I sort of was like going, okay, this is gonna be for this level of climber, you know, this grade range of climber. But I, I was really wrong on that. I think it's mm-hmm. you know we're seeing it effective straight across all the grade ranges. Right. Um, it's more like what's your life schedule? You know, are you are you busy? Are you not? Um, you know, uh, and and honestly, with a lot of these programs, it's like what you haven't been doing is sometimes a miracle just because it's a change from what your your body's been been subjected to yep totally okay well thanks for sitting down with me again yeah Um, i appreciate it and um we'll uh i'm sure we'll have more to talk about soon yeah you're you're honorary (laughs) co-host have been (laughs) since the start so so i think you'll be on some more i'm sure all right go buy the book um, do I even have to tell you guys that? It's it's honestly a really invaluable resource if you're someone who writes your own plans and have a hard time sticking to even the plans that you write. You know, real life pops up and uh, it's easy to get lost in that. So this is a really great place to start and Steve lays it out in a really nice fashion. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or you can find it on our site. Like I said in the intro, gives us a little bit of a kickback from Amazon. So, you know, take some money from the big guys and give a tiny bit to us. That's helpful. Uh, You can find Steve at climbstrong.com as always, and you should go check him out. Um, Watch your iTunes or your podcast app. Part two is coming soon. Question and answer with Steve about his book. Uh, And, you know, now's a good time to consider becoming a patron. You're going to get more of these question and answer type episodes. You're going to get uh, tips from our guests and some extra conversations with the crew here at Power Company Climbing. So consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast, uh, or you can just find us on our site at powercompanyclimbing.com, and you can find us on the Facebooks, the Pinterests, the Instagrams, and you should be sharing us all over those sites. And uh, you can share us on your Twitters, uh, but you're not going to find us there because, as you know, we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. Yeah.